We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Mr. Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Happy All-Star Weekend, Nets fans. And we do have a representative. Didn't make the All-Star team, but Spencer Dinwiddie is in the Skills Challenge, so we're praying for him. I know a lot of um, betting websites had him at the highest odds. What are, what are the chances you think Dinwiddie runs away with that? I actually think he's got a decent shot. Like, it's, it's basically just who rolls up on the day most engaged. Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't have any other events to focus on. You know, Joel Embiid's got the the big game and the Rising Star Challenge. He's doing everything. Um, so I think guys like them aren't really going to care as much about the skills challenge. Whereas Spencer Dinwiddie is going in. I reckon he's going in to win it and hopefully goes Super Saiyan mode and makes all the passes and beats out all the small guys and then takes down someone like a Joel Embiid or a Al Horford. I reckon it'll be fun. But yeah, prayers up for Spencer Dinwiddie. I reckon he's got a decent shot. I think he does too. I think he's super competitive. And like you said, he'll be focused on the challenge. And a lot of it comes down to, um, if I'm not mistaken, whoever hits that three, you know, whoever hits that shot, you know, you hit that first, you got a good chance. The other guy misses, but you know, shout out to Dinwiddie for being involved in the all-star game. It's nice to see a net in there. Hopefully next year we have an all-star, but that's for another day. Before we get started, just a reminder, you can listen to the buzz on iTunes, blog talk radio and otgbasketball.com. Now we usually talk about the games, but we're on a seven game losing streak. So that's not fun. We'll talk about positives, interesting topics today. We'll start off with Alan Crabb, who's had a resurgence. And in the month of February, he's averaging 18 a game, 4.7 rebounds, 44.8% from the field, and over 40% from three on one turnover. So very efficient numbers and a different Crabb than we've seen all season. What are your thoughts on the way Alan's playing right now? Aggression, Nick. And uh, he seems comfortable as well. Like the coaches were saying, that, you know, they just didn't know what was sort of wrong with him. Um, we mentioned before the pod, just having a bit of a chat, maybe the absence of Rondé and Karras sort of helped him feel more a part of the squad uh, in, in that sort of sense, feel that comfort level. I think he's gotten out of his head a little bit. And yep. He seems to just be shooting it and just like not thinking about the consequences. 
Um, the glue guys, shout out to those guys. They read up my question on, on this week's pod, so check them out as well. Um, they mentioned the fact that every time you could see Alan Crabb shooting it and he missed it, it was going through his head. This is $76 million I'm missing here right now. I'm not worth the $19 million. You can sort of tell. I mean, a lot of guys are like that. These are NBA players. And as much as, like, you know, they, they're not the ones that decide the contracts that they get, you know, the pressure is on them in every sense of the word. Um, you know, whether it be money, whether it be status, or whether it be just style of play. Um, Alan Krabbers just seems to be just going out there and just absolutely just, just shooting. And whenever he shoots, and I mean, some of these games, the, the last two especially, you know, it's the Alan Crabbe of old um, and, and one of the best shooters, the three-point shooters in the NBA uh, when he was in Portland. And he's just seemed lights out. I, during the year, it felt like he, he was tentative. And before this sort of streak that he's been on, I think he's had like 30 points uh, uh, a couple of games in a row, or if not two out of three games. And just his three-point shooting and his ability to just look confident, feel confident. And he's just seen the bucket go through. It seems like he doesn't, and he misses one, and he doesn't seem to, you know, overdwell on it. He almost had, like, the old-school Rondé mentality, whereas he's almost taken on the Rondé mentality now, where it's just, like, play-by-play, shot-by-shot, goes in and goes out, so be it, I'll move on to the next one. Yeah, Jack, you've made some great points. The pressure of the contract, and then I read something about Crab. You know, he expected himself to play better. You know, it kind of was bothering him that he wasn't playing better in a bigger role. You know, Rondé and Karras going out, it almost forced him to step up. It's like, you know, someone needs to shoot, someone needs to score points, and he was the guy. And like you mentioned, he looks more comfortable in the system with his teammates. And instead of, like, you know, already deciding what he's going to do before he gets the ball in terms of driving or shooting, he's more so reacting to the defense. You know, when they're overplaying, he's driving to the rim. He's done a good job of finding open space and hitting a little bit of those teardrops, one dribble, two dribble, nothing crazy, but kind of like a a page out of Joe Harris's playbook. You know, just a quick drive to the rim, just do your job, just get there. You know, you're not going to make every layup, but you have a better chance of making a layup or getting a foul call. So if Crab continues to play like this, you know, you don't really mind paying him the money, right? Not at all. Um, You know, he's playing like a, a number one, number two guy. He's a perfect complementary piece alongside a D'Lo and a Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, you mentioned those sort of the, the month in general. He's play, his last four games, he's putting up 25.3 points, five and a half rebounds and almost a steal a game and 5.3 three-pointers made at 51% from the floor. That is just absolutely lights out. He's been one of the form players in the Eastern Conference these past sort of four or five games. And it's just great to see. And uh, Ned Stanley had a really great article that I had a read of earlier today as well, just to do some research. The fact that after games, uh, Coach Kenny mentioned, and he he mentioned to the press, uh, Alan himself, that you know the off days, he's not a guy that just takes rest. He's into the gym, even when guys are telling him to get out of the gym. So it's not through lack of work. It's just through you know make or miss. We spoke about it earlier in the season on the earlier episodes with Karis LeVert. We were confident about the fact that he'd get that shot back. And look and behold, he has. And I think the same thing is obviously Alan Crabb has a lot more pressure on him being our sort of number one recruit, um, number one sort of trade guy, the contract, all, all that sort of thing, the, the sort of status he has within the Brooklyn Nets organization and what we want out of him and what we know we can get out of him. But it's good to see he, he continues to put in the work, you know, rain, hail or shine. And I think, you know, he's finally seeing the rewards and it's great to see, you know, he's, he's almost become a, a really great two-way player. We mentioned the steals just there. Um, I think he mentioned earlier in the season his defense when his offense was down. That's something he was priding himself on. It's good to see that that balance is still there. Yeah. Uh, Kenny's pointed out a few times that he's believed, you know, Krabs played solid defense, and I think he does. You know, once in a while he won't be engaged and allow a backdoor cut, 
but he at least put some good effort in on that side of the floor. So hopefully Crab can keep this up. You know, it's been a rough season in general, but if he can kind of carry this momentum into the rest of the year and carry into, you know, the 2018-2019 season, we'll be pretty happy about it. And like you said, I think getting D'Angelo back kind of helps him too. Having more playmakers out there just makes life a little bit easier. We've seen him have a lot more space than he has in the past. So the creators definitely help in that aspect. But moving on, moving on from Crab, a lot of Nets fans have been complaining about Kenny Atkinson. Personally, I don't really have much issue with him. Is there anything that you've seen coaching-wise over the last month or two that has really bothered you about Kenny? Yeah, Nick, we're obviously hugely active um, on Nets Twitter. And I think the number one thing that I sort of took from it was um, his rotations. Um, I think a lot of people, um, and this is from Kristen Lavinio, um, just after the game, um, just after the loss of the Pacers, um, you know, he's getting a little too sub-happy, he described it as. So he's making too many rotations, giving everyone too many looks, not riding the hot hand enough. Now, we've seen Coach Kenny has um, sort of ridden the hot hand defensively. We saw with Rondé earlier in the season uh, against Portland, where he was a super important piece. Same again um, with Rondé, uh, not Rondé, with D'Angelo Russell against Portland, where he was got the hot hand and he played above 30 minutes, and it just worked out. I think there are times where Coach Kenny can be a little bit lacking in that department. You know, um, we've seen a problem with D'Angelo now. He looks pretty much healthy, but he sort of subs him, subs him in and out in, in weird and inopportune times. That's something that, you know, isn't really frustrating for me. It's a little bit annoying. It might be annoying for, for D'Angelo, but he has, he's mentioned to the press and everyone in general that, you know, he's just going out there and playing the game. Um, I th- and I mean, the other night, Spencer Dillman was in some foul trouble, so he did see some extra minutes. I think that's one thing that you know, we need to take into account, that he, his, his number one asset as a coach, Coach Kenny, is his player development. You know, he's still in his second season, midway through his second season as a full-time coach, and he's going to learn the rotations and the substitutions, you know, what works, what doesn't work, as it goes on. It doesn't help having so many injuries as well, um, you know, in incorporating a new guy like a Dante Cunningham. But uh, I think there's there's valid, you know, valid uh, qualms with it. But I think you know, the elevation of concern from some Nets fans is a bit ridiculous. But I, I see there's always room for improvement, especially from a, a guy like Coach Kenny, who is still feeling his way into his role as a head coach in today's NBA. Yeah, I think, you know, the point that you made, he's a second-year head coach. Kenny is still developing. He said that he's still learning. And the Nets are on a seven-game losing streak, and no lineup has really stuck out and been like, oh, yeah, you know, the Nets need to keep this out here. Like, no rotation is perfect right now. I think he's still trying to find a rhythm. They're still trying to find a rhythm of what works, who works well. You know, they've lost two solid bigs this year, you know, Trevor Booker and Tyler Zeller. They're, neither of them are, like, you know, all-star game changers, but they're solid guys that come and do the job, and I think they've had real trouble kind of replacing the, the things that they do on the floor. So I think that's bothered Kenny. Obviously, he values spacing. And I think the injuries, like you mentioned, having Lavert and Rondé out of the lineup, we don't know what the performance team is telling him about D'Lo. Is he playing too many minutes? Is he playing too little minutes? You know, along those lines. But I think for this season, I think a lot of people like Nets fans, they're just like thinking about now. Look in the beginning of the season and think about what the Nets would have been like if they didn't have Kenny developing guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Jared Allen. Where would this season be at? We, we might not even be at 15 wins. No, not at all. And we mentioned, you mentioned those young guys, Nick. I don't have been chucking Damari Carroll, who's having a career season. Yeah, that you relationship. Know, it's that relationship. And it's not just him developing guys that are, you know, young, up-and-coming pieces. It's established pieces. Joe Harris, uh, my boy, has been flourishing like, um, like no other. 
And also, we, we see the, the praise he's gotten from, from from other coaches around the league. Popovich, I mean, Doc Pop- Rivers, uh, Mike D'Antoni. Yep, those are just to, to name a few. And I mean, obviously, they're going to have nice things to say. But I think because those guys have seen, have been around the, the NBA for, for such a long time, they know what it takes to sort of, you know, make it and cement yourself as a, as a top head coach in, t- in today's NBA. And I think Coach Kenny has all the tools to do so. You know, he's, he's, it's baby steps. He's, he's almost part of this, like Sean Marks as well. We're all part of this sort of culture shift, this rehabilitation of the Brooklyn Nets franchise. And we're all learning this together. And I think, you know, that's a really positive process that it's a whole sort of new system, whole sort of new um, people being involved in this. Like it's a completely new franchise. And I think that's a really positive process that Coach Kenny is getting the praise already in terms of just being able to get his guys out there to play. You know, you look at, you know, out in Sacramento, um, earlier in the season with Phoenix, you know, all these teams that are sort of going out there and, and getting blown out by 40 points, 50 points, 30 points, you know, that rarely happens to us. I mean, we're going to have a chat about that later in the pod. But the despite that, our effort is never waning. Um, we've probably mentioned one or two games where we've been a bit disappointed. But I think that has more to do with the players than it has to do with Coach Kenny because, you know, you see him day in, day out. Uh, I, there aren't many more passionate coaches. You could probably chuck in Tom Thibodeau. But I think Coach Kenny has the most passion uh, for this game and the most dedication out of any NBA coach uh, in the association today, let alone a guy who's only in his second year. Exactly. And, you know, when Kenny gets some all-stars and when they have a talented team and he doesn't do a good job, that's when you can get mad. But at this point in what he's done with this team, and like you said, you know, they might not always come out and play hard in the first half or the first quarter, but they still come back in that game and try to make some type of run. They don't give up. And I think that says a lot about Kenny. And just looking at him, he looks like he hasn't slept in days. He's trying to oh, figure yeah. out he, he's trying to figure this out. So, like, I, I'm not upset about it. Like, I don't think people can – like, what is he supposed to do with the pieces that he has? You know, right now, like, Rondé's probably the only good four that we have, and he's out. So he has to pretty much play Quincy AC, and he has to play Dante Cunningham. He doesn't have a true stretch four on the roster that he would love to have. So I think, you know, it's somewhat of Kenny not having the pieces he needs to run his system completely. And also we have to remember, these are a lot of young guys. So the inconsistent play comes with being a young player. You know, they're not going to come out and be consistent every game and run and execute everything that they want them to run. So it's going to be, you know, a grain of salt, everything you see with the Nets this season. Next year, when they're healthy and maybe they add another player, Jeremy Lin, also Jeremy Lin not being here, and that's his veteran point guard that runs your show, you know, even Spencer Dinwiddie's still young in this league. Delo's young in this league to run the show. They've done a good job when had the opportunity, but still the consistency isn't the same thing you'd see out of a Jeremy Lin. So I think uh, the fans need to relax a little bit and look at the roster and, you know, look back at what we thought about the roster before the season started. And you would have thought the Nets would be here with Jeremy missing the whole season, Delo missing a, almost half the season so far, a Rondé being banged up, Karras being banged up, trading Trevor Booker, trading Tyler Zeller. I think a lot of reasons are why the Nets are where they're at, and I don't think Kenny's a, a big part of that. So, but hey, if you wanna if you wanna come at us and let us know your thoughts on Twitter, tweet me at otg underscore nick, and you can tweet Jack at no, at the J Man JBT at the J Man JBT, and uh, let's move on to Dante Cunningham. Now, he's a new acquisition. So far, what have you seen from Dante? You know, four points per game, four rebounds, one point seven assists, one point three steals, um, field goal percentage a little bit over forty, no threes. What are your thoughts on what he's done so far in Brooklyn? Nice little piece to sort of take away some minutes from Quincy AC. Um, you mentioned the fact that he hasn't made a three yet, but he is somewhat of a threat back there. Um, you know, I wouldn't say he's lights out. Uh, I'd say, you know, he's 
you know, an average three-point shooter at best, maybe just below. Um, but when you're comparing to, say, like a Quincy AC, who made a couple the other night, um, might I add. So uh, he's still taking them, but there's times where he just looks hesitant, um, which is, you know, I think we're, we're taking what we're, from what we've got with Dante Cunningham right now. He's saying that he's positive about where he is. Um, he's playing hard. He's got that nice relationship with Sean Marks as well. So I think he's fitting into this system perfectly. I think he's, you know, still acclimating himself somewhat to sort of how the guys play. You know, he mentioned uh, before his first stamp against his former team, New Orleans, that he learned the plays a couple of hours ago. <laughs> um, and I think for a team that's, you know, heavily based on a sort of pace and space system, a guy like a Dante Cunningham, who is just an energy guy and, you know, coming off the bench. And I think it, it helps because we mentioned before that that lack of four depth um, and it allows us to sort of, you know, be a bit more versatile. If we didn't have Dante Cunningham throughout this, you know, this three or four game run um, without Rondé Hollis Jefferson injured as well, you know, we'd certainly be struggling even more in that sense. You, know, you want Quincy Acey playing 35 minutes tonight. Um, that's for sure. So, you know, Dante's, um, he, he's been a spark off the bench in terms of his energy, in terms of just doing those little things. He's sort of like a, a more polished Quincy AC uh, who hasn't nailed three yet, but I'm hoping he can get his shot, um, you know, to get a, a couple extra minutes here and there because, you know, we've seen the minutes that he's played so far. He played almost 29 minutes against Indiana. He was an important piece um, in that, you know, back and forth run. Uh, against Indiana, you know, he was important in terms of just stabilizing things. He's just a nice sort of stabilizer. Um, so I think he's going to see his minutes. Um, but when Rondé comes back, it's going to be a nice little balancing act and a, and a good extra piece, good extra depth piece to to have on the roster. Yeah, a nice veteran to have around, knows how to play basketball, like you said. Nothing crazy, but he'll do some of the small things, bring a little toughness. I like the fact he's averaging four rebounds. Obviously, they could use that, and he could possibly take minutes away from AC in the future when Rondé's back, so we'll see what happens with that. I don't think he's a long-term piece or anything like that, but if he did stay around, he wouldn't mind him as being you know, that 14th or 15th man to just have around as a veteran presence because you've heard a lot of good things about him around the NBA, so I don't mind him being on the squad. And to finish out the roster, or finish out the season, they could use like a guy like him on the roster. Yep. But, uh, Jack, you had this topic you mentioned to me, and I think somebody brought it up on Twitter. Um, is it, do you think it's better to lose close games or better to lose in a blowout? Like, do you like having your heart broken or just being able to turn off the game in the third quarter? Yeah, it's interesting, Nick. You make a very valid points with both of those. Just to preface this, did a little bit of research going through the game log on basketball reference. Um, we've obviously lost seven straight and 11 of the past 12. Um, in terms of the margins that some of our losses have been this season, we've had 11 games where we've lost by five points or less and we've lost six games by 15 points or more. So there's six games that you can probably just turn off quite easily. And I mean, if you're taking probably into 12 to 14 points as well, there's those games where the Nets come back in the final quarter as well. So there's plenty of games where the Nets just haven't shown up, so to speak. But there's also been a ridiculous amount of games, you know, 11 games, you get half of those wins. I think a lot of Nets fans would be uh, a lot happier, including us. But uh, I think it's, it's, all, it's better to lose close games because it, it's at least showing progress. It's a, you're at least showing something on the court. Whereas the blowouts, you, 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 you can't really take anything away from them. The biggest thing that I've taken away from one blowout this season was that Nick Stauskas absolutely hot moment in his first <laughs> game against Toronto. Other than that, there is literally nothing to take from those blowouts. You, know, you might get some nice minutes from Jalil Okafor, um, who's been quite poor for us. And I mean, the stats been all over Twitter about his on-off numbers. But those close games you see, you know, against Toronto, against Boston, against um, you know, all those sort of guys, against Cleveland, um, you know, those close games last night, uh, the other night, sorry, against 
uh, the Indiana Pacers. You're seeing something there. Um, even against New Orleans the other night where we came back from like 26, 28 points down to yeah. almost steal it. You're, you're, you're seeing a lot more. You can take away a lot more positives from those games than you can from a blowout game. So if you're, wait, if you're writing a pros and cons list, you get out that little notepad. You're obviously going to prefer the close games. It certainly doesn't help, you know, the, the heart troubles and the blood pressure. But um, <laughs> when you've got the blowouts on it, I mean, I remember I actually, I was chatting to you during the New Orleans game. I'd, I'd turned it over to, to another game when we were like 20 points down. And then I'm like, I'm getting like bleach notifications, getting messages on Twitter and stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe I should turn it back now. We're only down by like 10. And so there's moments where it's just like, it pays to just watch all of the Nets game because who knows what could happen. But I'm going to lean towards the close games because at least, you know, you can take something away from it. And for me, it's close games and it's not even close, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, okay, yeah. Because, you know, I, like you said, the experience, it matters a lot. When you look at a team like the Timberwolves, for example, obviously they added Jimmy Butler, but their previous season, they lost a lot of close games. This season, they're winning a lot of those close games. And now they're looking at being, you know, possible home court team in the Western Conference playoffs. So I think those close games do matter, and you're going to get more experience, more experience in the clutch time. When you play those blowout games, the other team is not trying as hard. No matter what you think, they're not putting in 100% effort. If you're up 28 points on somebody, you're not really worried until they get that down to 18. You know what I mean? Like, And, like, we've seen Okafor, we've seen Stauskas have really nice moments in these blowouts. But when we've seen them in clutch games, close games, their numbers have been terrible. Um, I got a stat from you from NBAminer.com. It says the Nets have 10 close game wins and 10 close game losses. So it's maybe not as necessarily bad as we think. It's a lot of games to be involved in close games, but that has something to do with our comebacks. And also, I think if you're, you know, we talk about this and it's obvious because the two-minute report says it, you know, we've had probably three or four losses taken away from us by the referees. So yep. a couple of these close games, we've actually probably should have won. And, you know, like Spencer Dinwiddie mentioned earlier in the season, one or two games at certain points in the season can change the direction of the team. So next year, you know, when we start to get a little bit more respect from the refs, our guys are a little bit more established. Even looking at Dinwiddie right now, from earlier in the season till now, I believe he's getting more foul calls because the NBA is starting to, you know, respect him a little bit and seeing what he does on a consistent basis. D'Lo's great with the pump fakes. He's going to start helping us get more foul calls. Rondé's another guy who's building up his respect. Karras, I think, was starting to get a little bit more respect too coming to the season. So, if you know, they keep building and working forward and, you know, you're going to be more respect as a team. You're not going to be that bad team. If you constantly do the good things that winning teams do, I think it'll pay off for the Nets. And I love the experience. I hate I hate the blood pressure. I hate the, the fast-beating heart when you're watching these close games. But, hey, it, it's going to help them in the long run. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think, you know, we mentioned, you know, the guys that are sort of – once you start to turn those wins into losses, I think last year – uh, Minnesota were one of those teams that sort of were really, really bad when it came in the clutch. Now, the Nets certainly are terrible. Um, you mentioned you know, the wins and the losses there. There are times where we, we do end up grinding it out. It always happens to be against the lesser teams, which is something that a good team does. But I think once we start doing it on a more consistent basis, we turn those 10 wins, as you mentioned before, those 11 sort of those close wins, close losses into blowout wins and become a bit more consistent as a squad because... I think there are nights where we're, we're very much up and down. I think a four-quarter performance has been few and far between across the I feel year. like it's every night. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, you know, we played two amazing quarters of basketball, which almost make up for the, the two really lackluster, insipid performances we played in the quarters before. Um, if we play four quarters of defense and you know make a few shots here and there, especially from the perimeter, 
So that's when we look our best. Um, but you know, it's it's all a learning process. Um, it's all about the progress. It's all about the development. And I think baby steps, baby steps, we'll get there. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, two two major reasons are why the Nets can't close out uh, close games. Closer, they don't have a true closer yet. You know, is D'Angelo going to be that guy? Is Spencer going to be that guy? Obviously, Spencer's kind of gone into that role a little bit, but his numbers aren't great in that role. So I think, you know, somebody needs to step up and get better shots. Maybe it's just having more talented guys. And defensively, just need more guys that can, you know, lock down their dude one-on-one. You know, too many times you see opposing opposing teams get easy buckets late in the clutch, and that just can't happen. So you just can't have those defensive miscues late in the game. But uh, before we get out of here, let's to- talk post-All-Star break. Obviously, you know, All-Star Week, we mentioned Dinwiddie at the Skills Challenge. We're hoping he can pull off the W. But moving into the rest of the season, I believe we have 23 games left. Let's talk changes. What would you like to see change in the starting lineup, if anything? Uh, I think Dillard's got to start, Nick. We mentioned on a previous pod, um, I-, I thought I'd see him starting by now. Now, it's it's tough to take out a, a guy like an Alan Crabb. I think with the form that he's shown, he's an automatic starter. But, you know, you look at a Quincy AC, can we start showing some small ball lineups? When Rondae comes back, he's obviously probably going to come off the bench unless that rest after the All-Star break certainly helps him. Um, I think Delo's the most likely starter. You know, let Karis LeVert have his time with the bench unit and then, you know, stagger the minutes of him and Dinwiddie because then you've always got one elite ball handler out there, um, one guy who could sort of run the show. I think that's the most likely thing to happen. Um, and I think Jared Allen consistently as a starter uh, is something that we're going to see a lot more of. Yes, he's going to have his up and down nights, you know, uh, against the Pacers. He got a bit bodied by Al Jefferson, which was, you know, it was fun to watch for her from, from probably Corey's uh, side of things. But for, uh, for us Nets fans, he was still doing the right things, Jared, in terms of his positioning. But, you know, he, just gonna... he bit on too many pump fakes, especially for a guy like Al Jefferson, who he could block it. Like, Jared Allen needs to know Al Jefferson can't get more than like six inches off the ground. You know, exactly. so, so it's just like a little experience thing. It is. It's experience, and uh, those reps will come, and he, he knows. I think in the scouting reports, he was probably focusing on probably a little bit more on Miles Turner and Sabonis. Uh, he didn't expect Al Jefferson to be seeing those minutes. But, you know, Allen and D'Lo are my sort of stars I'd like to be seeing. And, I mean, we've got to stretch ahead um, after the All-Star break where I'm hoping we can get, you know, six or seven wins. We've got the Hornets right after the break, the Bulls, Cleveland, Kings, Clippers, Warriors, Hornets, Sixers, Raptors, Sixers, Mavs, Grizzlies, and Hornets again. We can easily get five or six wins there. Um, I'm hoping, you know, we start to, to reverse our losing trend. There's some tough ones in there. Um, they're not, we're not going to get earned. But I think after the All-Star break, you might see some teams sort of pack up shop, get into the get into the lottery ball um, tankathon, so to speak. Whereas us and Nets, we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. So hopefully we see D'Lo starting, Jared Allen cons- uh, consistently starting as well uh, for the most part. And, you know, hopefully we get the Ws from it. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I'd like to see D'Angelo in the starting lineup. I'm not really sure how he's going to do it. You mentioned Rondé coming off the bench, and I think that could be a benefit to make it easier to kind of ease the starting lineup in. Maybe something like Spencer, D'Angelo, Alan Crabb, Damari Carroll, and Jared Allen. It's a super small lineup, but I think that's something they could roll with. Then you could bring Rondé in pretty soon, and then you could have Carroll play a little bit with the second unit as well. I think just getting back the guys healthy – it's just going to be huge in terms of depth because there's going to just be so many different options. You're going to have a lot better players on the floor. And like you said, you know, stagger the minutes with D'Lo and uh, Dinwiddie. So Levert always has kind of a partner on the floor. 
Yeah, so. and you mentioned Damari at the four, Nick. I know he's not a huge fan of it in terms of his age and going, you know, banging down low. But, you know, the new four role isn't essentially that. And if that's the case, you know, there could, you could have some nights, once Ronde's healthy, have Ronde starting at the four and have Damari coming off the bench. Yeah. I don't mind seeing Damari coming off the bench. I think he's a really nice level head. Uh, he's, you know, we're seeing uh, a bit more maturity from Alan Crabb now, despite the fact he's only 25 years old. But there could be nights where we mix and match. I don't mind, you know, we don't need to have the same starting lineup every night. As long as by the time we're, we're fully healthy, we don't see Quincy Ace starting anymore, then yes. I'm going to be really happy. <laughs> yeah, I just, like you said, I just want to see D'Angelo starting because I think it's important to him mentally. And I think obviously he's our key cog and, you know, the brightest piece of our future who has the highest ceiling probably and what he can do. So I'd like to see him kind of hit his stride a little bit more. And he's picked it up. Over the last two games combined, he's had 34 points, 14 assists, five rebounds, 14 and 31 from the field. The only concern I'm really having with D'Angelo, and it's been a concern this season, is his three-point shot. You know, I would like to see that kind of find some consistency. Obviously, some of it's due to injury. I wouldn't be surprised if they messed around with his mechanics a touch in the summertime. Yeah, it does look a, a little bit herky-jerky, so to speak. You mentioned his three-point shooting there. For me, I like to see him getting into the line a little bit more. He, yes. We know he's got the jumper, and we know he's you know he had this absolutely gorgeous rainbow jumper over a big. But with a lot of our guys, you know, we saw Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I, I tweeted out the fact that he was settling for three-pointers, and the most of his points that he got from it the other night are from the line. When we see us getting to the line and making free throws, that's when we're, we're one of the better teams at it. And, you know, I think Rondé probably sets the standard there, so to speak. But when you see Spencer doing it, then, you know, you, you see the other guys want to do it as well, you know, back up their guys, so to speak. I think Spencer's got to learn some, uh, not Spencer, D'Lo's got to learn some moves around the rim a little bit more and, you know, develop a bit of a chemistry with maybe some of the bigs like a Jared Allen, which Karis LeVert has. Um, I think he's just got to get a little bit craftier, a little bit more, a little bit more polished. You know, we know he's got the talent, but I think a, a nice full summer uh, and a nice, you know, healthy summer, hopefully, you know, a, another training camp, you know, we're still, these guys are still absolute, you know, infants when it comes to their NBA experience. But I think, you know, hopefully we see just the progress from him because we know he can get those buckets and, you know, he's learning to be a bit more engaged on the defensive end as well. So I think Coach Kenny's the perfect coach to get it out of him. And, you know, you've mentioned those numbers. Those are great numbers. Um, you know, he's going to, have all the expectation, but he's also going to have all the opportunity. So I'm expecting big things from my boy D'Lo. Yeah, and I think some of it's the willingness to take contact. You know, you just got to be a little bit more aggressive. And you remember, he's 21. He's going up against guys that are bigger, stronger than him. I think, you know, some work in the summertime, getting a little bit more strength, a little bit more weight on will help him. And uh, he honestly, he probably has some of the best, the best fake game I've ever seen out of a 21-year-old in terms of getting guys to bite on fakes when he's not even really thinking about taking the shot and they're not even in position and they still bite on his hesitations, his pump fakes all over the place. And I think that's something that really benefits you when you go to the rim. You know, you just get people's hands in all types of weird positions and then you get yourself to the free throw line, especially when your shot's not falling. That's a great asset to have. And I'd like to see D'Lo do it a little bit more like you mentioned. In Definitely. terms of oh, the rotation, Jack, what do you think should change other than the starting lineup? Anybody else you want to see get more minutes, less minutes? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? No, we've spoken uh, occasionally about some of our G League guys like Milton Doyle and James Webner. Uh, I, I want to see a little bit more out of them, whether they're going to be anything. Um, I think Jalil Okafor is a really interesting piece going forward. Um, 
I mean, we mentioned Nick. I mentioned Nick Stauskas in passing. I don't think he's got a, a huge future, so to speak, with the Nets. Maybe if we offer him on, on the minimum uh, or something like that, I think, you know, we could certainly get him on the cheap, uh, be just sort of a rotation piece uh, behind like a Joe Harris. Uh, but Jalil Okafor is one guy that, you know, we don't really know where he's going to play. be. Where's his place in this net system? We know Jared Allen is the focal point going forward, but can Jalil Okafor develop his his game to be where he's not a liability when he's on the floor because the the statistics showing right now are that he is does he have a future in the nba um is it with the nets um, there's a lot of questions surrounding him and you know the answers are, are certainly up in the air exactly and it's like i think okafor needs to realize his like his mindset he had that piece saying he wants to be a franchise cornerstone yeah maybe you still have the talent to do that but at this point in your career no team's going to really give you that opportunity until you prove you can do the small things. For me, when Okafor's on the floor, he just needs to show more energy, just be super aggressive, just like all over the place, be like a spark plug. That's the easiest way for yourself to get minutes as a big. You know, play good defense, work on the boards, get us some offensive rebounds, run in transition. I still think there's another level conditioning-wise that he can hit. Obviously, he lost a lot of weight coming to the Nets, but he still doesn't look like he's super fit. And defensively, uh, sometimes he's in okay position and he'll get a block here and there, but he drops so far back. Like, and even if he doesn't, if that player doesn't take the shot, they're already deep in the paint and where so another net's coming over to help giving up another open shot. So those, those advanced stats don't really surprise me because in my eyes, he's still defensive liability. I know people have been like, you know, he's played pretty good defense, but me watching him on the floor, he's just so slow and his body positioning isn't great. So if he wants to, you know, have a bigger role with the Nets, bigger role this season. I think energy-wise, he needs to pick it up, and defensively, he needs to pick it up. Offensively, we know what you can do. You have some nice post moves. You have some nice, you know, rolls to the rim, but show us some energy, show us some effort, show us some aggression that we've never seen before. Yeah, it's it's all it's all going to be whether he can show us it on that end, Nick. And I think, you know, obviously the, the lack of consistency he's had in terms of the organization supporting him out in Philly, you know, do, do the Nets bring him back? give him an off season and see what he can bring. And then maybe, you know, move him at the deadline uh, next February. Um, that, that, that could be a, a certainly a possibility. But um, I, I think, you know, it's it's going to be what he shows within these last sort of 25, 30 games. If he can, you know, be somewhat active defensively and not like an absolute horror there, then, you know, he needs to, to realize, you know, that he's got to be somewhat engaged on both ends. He can't be, you know, and Enos Cantor life because that's not going to cut it in today's NBA. But and at know, least I'm... Enos Cantor is dominating the boards. Exactly, you know, Cantor's exactly. one of the best rebounders in the league. Like that's what I want to see from Okafor. He has the size to be a dominant rebounder. Yeah. Rebounding's a lot of energy and effort. Look at Reggie Evans back in the day in the Nets. Like he wasn't a super talented player, but that dude just left it all on the court every night. So if Okafor yeah, could can... do something like that, it would help a lot. You can't just be a bucket getter in today's NBA. You have to have more than one discernible skill, you know, and that skill can't just be, you know, getting uh, getting points. You know, if he can rebound at an elite level and and then maybe even improve his passing game. We, we've seen moments where Jared Allen, I think he had six assists um, and I think it was the first time since in 30 years that a rookie has done so, a rookie big has done so. I think that's where the game, the the modern center is going. We saw Nikola Jokic last night get a triple-double in freaking 14 minutes. <laughs> uh, absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely huge shout-out. Make sure you listen to this week's JBT for more info on that. But yeah, I think that's where Jill needs to figure out. Where is his... We know he's, you know, decent in the pick and roll. Um, we know he's a nice sort of, you know, uh, finisher. But you can't just be that in today's NBA, especially when you're playing the five, because 
it's the most integral role uh, on the court along with the, the point guard position. They sort of anchor the defense and, and the offense in some cases as well for some teams. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of possibilities for Jalil going forward. Hopefully, you know, he can um, silence some of the haters out there. Yeah, uh, and maybe I'm a hater right now, but I just think that he could provide us with another level of effort and energy that we need to see if he wants to see the minutes, especially with Kenny's favoritism towards spacing. You know, yeah. if you want to prove to Kenny that you want to be out there, you better be doing some good things in terms of defense, rolling to the rim, energy and effort. But in terms of changes in scheme or certain things the Nets do, would you like to see anything changed over the All-Star break? At this times, Nick, where we're, we play at such a rapid pace that I think that would be worth slowing it down. I think D'Angelo Russell's minutes being increased might change that. Um, uh, in terms of just our, our overall system, I think it's not so much that we need to change it. It's just the execution. I think we're just, we, we lack in the executing of, you know, getting back on transition defense, um, you know, limiting those turnovers, you know, making shots from the perimeter, um, not taking so many contested shots, not forcing it, so to speak. I think that that not necessarily comes down to the coaches, but it comes down to the players and, you know, we mentioned how important the film room has been to, to a lot of our guys. I think consistently just seeing where the mistakes are happening, where they need to, to be a little bit better in terms of execution-wise. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Um, we mentioned baby steps, you know, one step at a time. Um, sometimes it might feel like two steps forward, one step back. But, um, you know, it's, it's all a part of, of the, the overall plan of seeing where we are in the future. I think next year, you know, if we see the same sort of lapses, then it's going to be worrying. But this is almost like a, a completely new team. So the fact that we're going to see mistakes is, is obvious. But, um, you know, that as long as they're being corrected and being addressed is the important part. Yeah, like you said, it's a young squad and, like, the kids are still learning into terms of what they want in the system. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some defensive changes in terms of scheme. I feel like the Nets bigger just dropping back so far on pick and rolls, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the guard to get over the top. If they even get caught on the screen the tiniest bit, it's just putting them out of position and creating a problem for the defense. So I wouldn't be surprised if they address that. I'm not not telling them what scheme to run because I'm not sure which one will work. They have more tape and watch more film than I do. But I think that's not working correctly. And also I think the players sometimes are, you know, I know the whole point of the defense is to force long twos. But sometimes these mid-range jump shots are wide open, and it's the guys that can hit these jump shots. Now, uh, we want them to shoot the long twos, but you don't want to give them wide open looks. You know, they're still NBA players. So I think there's just some little details they need to fix up defensively. Offensively, I'm not as worried. I think things will kind of come, especially when we get back a playmaker like Levert and then a great a great scorer like Rondé in the post. It's funny even saying that term, but I think that'll really help. <laughs> but uh, goals of the All-Star break, you know, post-All-Star break, you know, what do you want to see the most in terms of wins and who who do you want to see step up the most in terms of one player? We've harped on the 30-win mark, Nick. You know, uh, I'd, I'd probably settle for 28, 29 right now, but 30 is just that nice round number. Uh, we mentioned, you know, the, the schedule going forward has uh, plenty of opportunities to get the Ws. You know, I just want to see, you know, some consistent minutes from D'Angelo, uh, some consistent minutes from Spencer, you know, some consistent minutes from Jared Allen. Um, just guys that, we, you know, th the same sort of thing basically going forward. You know, Ronde continuing to sort of, Know, force himself, not force himself, but you know, take the take the three point shot when it's in the flow of the system. Um, seeing the same sort of you know leadership from Damari Carroll, it's almost more of the same thing, but you know, tweaking the the sort of negatives like you mentioned on the defensive end. You know, we have lapses. Uh, Alan Crab, uh, I just want to, to see him continue to maintain that aggression. 
maintain that sort of that frame of mind that he has where it's just it's almost like you're going out there with a blank slate every play is a blank slate you miss it so be you know you get something on the defensive end and you go back and you nail that three i think it's just all these positive sort of developments that we want to see from our guys um there's going to be you know lapses and mistakes as i mentioned before but you know the mistakes are what help you grow and especially with this young team you know spencer dimity not settling for those three-point shots because you know it's hurting his efficiency um you know not settling i think continuing to just maintain those buzzwords like aggression and execution is going to be the key for us going forward yeah i agree i think the aggression the physicality you know, sometimes the Nets have been soft this season. I like them to play hard, physical, execute the game plan the rest of the season. 30 games should be the goal. You know, even though it's tough and they've lost a lot of games, they should be getting back two of their best players in Laver and Rondé, offensively and defensively. Probably can make an argument they're probably, if not the best two-way players on the Nets, you know, top three, top four on the Nets in terms of that. So I think getting them back should definitely help. And like I said, goals defensively, you know, like you said, get rid of those lapses, you know, tighten it up, run the show right consistency from some of the young guys and in terms of one player i'd like to see d'angelo find his rhythm by the end of the season i'd like him to get back to those numbers we saw early in the year you know 20 a game five or six assists over 45 percent from the field and i would be really happy if he could get his three-point shooting over 30 percent. i don't think it has to be lights out or anything but i'd like that to get a little bit higher so going to the the post all-star break i think there's some positives and last year the nets were really nice after the post all-star break so i think the same thing can be said this year Hopefully we get it going, Nick, because um, that breaks always all the players that mentioned. I'm listening to uh, road tripping with um, LeBron most recently. He's a, a lot of the time, the guys that are going to the All-Star game, as much as they enjoy it and they uh, enjoy being the face of sort of the weekend, they're, they're envious of the guys that get to have that break. And, you know, all the comments from guys, from a lot of our guys, it's just like, you know, this is where we just reset. You know, we take our mind off the game a little bit because, you know, 82 games, it's a long bloody season. Um you know, aren't, there aren't many sports and leagues in the world that play 82 games in, in the space of you know, less than six months. But you know, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the progression from this team and hopefully we see a lot of the things that we've been talking about. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jack. And just to touch on that real quick, the Nets did seem tired having all these injuries. Guys are playing more minutes in bigger roles they didn't expect. I've already seen, I think, on Instagram, like three or four Nets on vacation. Alan Crabb, D'Angelo Russell, Damari Carroll, Jalil Okafor already all on vacation so these guys wanted to get some rest i think d'angelo meant mentioned like all this losing it kind of gives you time to kind of you know get yourself back together and figure things out so that should really help the nets and hopefully they can find their rhythm going to the end of the season Thefts. but that wraps it up for today jack as always a wonderful show with you and thank you everybody for listening you can catch the buzz on itunes blog talk radio and otgbasketball.com also be dropping a special all-star edition of the nba outlet this weekend so check that out jack will be on there as well nobody builds 5g like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.